The scripture this morning is again John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, excuse me, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. God, we ask right now, like Jeremiah did and experienced, that your word would be a joy to us and bring great delight to our hearts. Do that, we pray in your name. Amen. The USS Gerald R. Ford, a new class of aircraft carrier, was commissioned in 2017 after a construction cost of $13 billion. Can you imagine piloting that thing? It's nearly four football fields long. Just think about that. You could have four NFL games going at the same time on that. 25 decks, dual band radar, electromagnetic aircraft launch, and arresting gear. I have no clue what that is, but it sounded cool. Capacity for over 75 aircraft. 
advanced missile systems, and a crew of 2,600 sailors. And the entire thing, weapon systems, technologies, all of it, is, is powered by two nuclear reactors. If you want a lot of details on them, you can't find them online. Trust me, I tried. Because <laughs> I guess it's classified or something. <laughs> but, but imagine with me, think about that ship, right? The, the power that represents. Imagine if those, that reactor was just taken out of the thing. Pulled out. There's emergency diesel generators, I learned, that would serve for a time. But eventually the, the propulsion systems, the weapon systems, all that technology keeping 2,600 sailors alive and, and projecting U.S. power around the globe, all of that would be completely powerless. All the resources, all the personnel, all the technology, all the weapons, all the gifts, abilities, no avail whatsoever if that ship lacks power. You, you could argue that that A1B reactor is the most important part of that entire ship. If it's not doing its job, if it's not present, then nothing else that entire carrier is designed to do can go down. Friends, that is what the Holy Spirit is like for a Christian. He, he's the one who empowers God's people to love and follow him. John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How, Lord? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. What's Jesus' point? God the Spirit isn't an optional accessory for a Christian. What would the, the captain of that ship say? If you, you know, I just think your reactor, that's cool, but that's kind of optional. No. No, it's not an optional accessory any more than the Holy Spirit is an optional accessory for Christians or churches. He's not God's sidekick pal either, who just doles out cool gifts to people who are kind of into the, the wow factor. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father is God and the Son is God. And with them is to be worshipped and glorified, friends. His indwelling presence is what enables us to say, as the people of God, the Lord of hosts is with us. That's why we can say that. John 14, verse 17, speaking of the Spirit, Jesus says, You, the people of God, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And in case we forgot the context, remember in this chapter, Jesus' disciples are very, very troubled. They're, they're troubled because his departure is imminent. They're troubled because their own failure is imminent, according to Jesus. And in response, the Lord exhorts them to trust him. He, he tells them to, 
express their faith or trust through obedient, loving, following his commands. And then he strengthens them for the battle by promising to send the helper that they and we desperately need in order to do that. Do you know how much trusting and loving and obeying Jesus will go down absent the Holy Spirit? None of it. (laughs) It can't happen. Because loving in Jesus means obeying Jesus by the power of the Spirit. That's the whole point of this chapter. So, who is this Holy Spirit that Jesus promised he would send to help us love God by obeying God? That's the question we asked last week. We're going to pick up with that again this week. Jesus answers that question in several ways. In verses 16 to 27, before he, he concludes with kind of a summary, hey guys, take a knee and remember why they shouldn't be troubled. So we'll get to that at the end, but we looked at three of his answers. Who is this Holy Spirit last Sunday? The Spirit is given by God, the Spirit indwells the people of God, and the Spirit imparts the life of God. And we're going to consider three more this morning. The Spirit reveals the glory of God. The Spirit instructs the people of God, and the Spirit conveys the peace of God. So as we look at each one of these, remember the big picture. All of these characteristics, attributes, activities of the Spirit, they have a purpose. It's not designed just to fill your head with knowledge about, ooh, that's interesting. I I kind of didn't know anything about that third person, the Trinity. No, the purpose is to empower you, friend, to love God by obeying God. That, That matters. So let's look at the first way the Holy Spirit does that in our lives So we pick this back up. I'm going to call this point one, but you can call it point four if you're into the continuity thing. All right? First, the Spirit reveals the glory of God. He he reveals the glory of God. Look at verse 21, John 14. We we want to slow down here because in this verse, Jesus establishes the priority of the Spirit's work by, by laying out a series of spiritual principles in quick succession. So what's he say? First, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. What's that mean? Well, quite simply, that that love for Jesus is not a a spectrum of lifestyle options. where, Where you have people on one side who are really careful to obey, love Jesus, and and people on the other side who are who are not so careful to obey Jesus. But, you know, the whole spectrum, everybody gets to say they love Jesus. No, that's not the case. The only people who love Jesus, this is the point, are those who keep and hold fast to his commands. By by allowing the word of God to, to govern what they, what we think and feel and do in every situation. If God's word doesn't function that way in someone's life or in your life, then the simple fact is you don't love Jesus. That's what he's saying, period. Here's here's the second principle. He who loves me will be loved by my father. Now, I think to some ears, those words sound like salvation by works, don't they? 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father. If, if, if you want God the Father to love you, well, then you have to earn it by loving God the Son. You know, insert coin of love for Jesus, get out gumball of the Father's love for you. You know what I'm talking about? It could sound like that. Maybe you thought that when I, we read that. But, but that's not at all what Jesus is saying, friends. He's not establishing a, a condition for meriting the Father's love. You know, do this, you'll earn that. He's describing a relationship. He's making a connection. If, if this is true, then something else is also true. How, what's the connection? If Jesus is the treasure of your heart, if he's the object of your, your highest affection, your deepest loyalty, your greatest trust, then you can know for certain that God the Father delights in you as one of his beloved children. God's covenant love his fatherly love, his, his saving love that ensures you will be justified and not condemned on the final day of judgment is reserved for only for those who love the son he loves. Why do I say that? Well, because it's through affectionate faith in Christ alone that you and I can enter the kingdom of God. That's the only way. There is no... Forgiveness of sins apart from faith in Jesus. There is no hope of righteousness in the sight of a holy God apart from faith in Jesus. The the conditions justice requires for entrance into God's presence and membership among his redeemed people are not conditions you can meet, friend. That's the point. But they are conditions Jesus meets for all who trust in him. We, we, we enter the kingdom of God, in other words. We, we experience the Lord's redeeming love for us, not through mental assent to the facts about Jesus, but through affectionate faith in Jesus. Those are not the same thing. But I think, you know, we hear, you can hear all that. Maybe you agree with all or some of that. And, and we can still step back and wonder, like, okay, Pastor, why is all this going all in with Jesus thing you're talking about? Why is that actually worth it? For real. I mean, we we live in a world that, at least from my perspective, (laughs) seems to offer so much. Right? Endless pleasures, diversions, Pursuits, promises of happiness. With the end of verse 21, look there. Jesus tells us why a life devoted to loving him, obeying the Father, is worth it. If you've ever wondered that, is it worth it? Look at the end of verse 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There is no greater glory in the universe, friend, than the glory of God. You won't find one. And that means, therefore, 
that, that there is no greater pleasure or joy you could ever discover in the universe greater than gazing at the face of God. You can look for it. Many people do. Most people do. But you won't find it. And, and here's, here's the best part. You don't have to wait for heaven to see God. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, Matthew, now I know you've gone loopy. To see God? Are you, are you, what, are you going to like give me something that gives me a vision? You know? Now, listen. Listen carefully. Jesus is eager. He's itching, he's waiting, he's, he's leaning forward, he's committed to, he's excited about displaying and manifesting the glory of God to you right now, friend. Right now. How does he do that? Through the Holy Spirit, who does what? Opens our spiritual eyes so that we can see Jesus and perceive Jesus and delight in Jesus for who he actually is. When Judas asks, in verse 22, look there, how Jesus will manifest himself to them. Jesus replies in verse 23 with what? might seem a little weird at first. Did you hear the question? He did. He did. He replies by pointing to the work the Father and their Son will do in making their home with us. Well, how do the Father and the Son make their home with us? What, what, what's that about? Well, look back at verse 17, because Jesus already told us. Describing the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, He dwells with you and will be in you. That's how the Father and the Son make their home with us. What, what's he saying? Really important, friends, the way Jesus manifests himself to us, don't miss this, is by opening our spiritual eyes to perceive his goodness and beauty through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That's how he gets it done, enabling us to, to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, is the Spirit's specialty. Some of you who work in a large company may have the privilege of specializing in certain skill sets. Some of you who are small business owners are thinking, I wish I could do that. I have to do everything. <laughs> but if you're in that large company or you know somebody who is, you have the luxury of getting to specialize in something. You know what the Holy Spirit specializes in doing? It's in opening spiritual eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's his specialty. It's what, it's what he loves to do, what he was sent to do, and what he alone can do. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, look at this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes, I knew that. Freedom to do as I please. Enough with the rules. No. That word is in a fill in the blank that you can just put whatever you feel like doing into Freedom to what? Freedom to see Jesus. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another because this just happens mysteriously and we don't know why. No. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Moms and dads, do you realize, those of you who have kids, that you are utterly incapable of opening your child, or let's just broaden this a little bit, grandchild's eyes to see Jesus for who he is. Do you want that? Do you pray for that, right? Do you desperately desire the ability to just make it happen? Come on. You can't have enough conversations. You can't make enough arguments. You can't give enough consequences or enough discipline. You you cannot reason children into loving Jesus. Don't try. It's a waste of time. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What's Paul saying? Only the Spirit can remove the spiritual blindness that we're all naturally born with so that somebody can see Jesus for who he really is. So, should you teach your family about the glory of God? Yes. Should should you testify to your friends at work? Let's broaden this beyond parenting. About the glory of God, yes. Do we we point to signs of God's glory in the created world around us and the the apex of God's glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, 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 yes. But we do not have the power to manifest Jesus to anyone, friends. Who manifests Jesus? Jesus does. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. He manifests his own glory. You can testify to it. You can point to it. You can make much of it through the example of your affectionate faith in Jesus, but you cannot take another heart and open those blind eyes. You can't. That's the Spirit's work. That that doesn't make us passive in sharing our faith. To the contrary, It actually gives us confidence, hope that that our our sharing, our speaking, our our question asking, our question answering, our our Bible explaining, our gospel announcing labor will not be in vain. Here's another application of this point that it's the Spirit who reveals the glory of God. It, It is tremendously humbling if we really get this. Really, really humbling. Because If you perceive anything right now of the worth of Jesus and you love him accordingly, know this, friend, that is not your own doing. It's not your own doing. The the only reason, the only explanation, the, the ultimately determinative factor, if you would, is this. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes And enabled you to see. And so here's what that means. 
a Christian who boasts in any way about what I know of God. I'll reply to that dumb post. (laughs) Or a Christian who quietly takes pride in being theologically correct. Is an affront to the glory of the God you claim to know. Because anything, anything we rightly perceive or understand about the Lord, that's a gift, friend. That's a gift. Do not take credit for that. That's a gift. The most loving thing God has ever done for you or could ever do for you is manifest himself to you. And and part of what drives Judas's question in verse 22, think about this, is an underlying assumption that Jesus came to immediately accomplish a physical, visible redemption. Think about this, all right? Verse 22 literally reads, look there, translated literally, what has happened (laughs) that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And in other words, why why Jesus is this manifest thing? It feels like it's kind of on the DL. What what, what happened to the the Messiah? What what happened to taking on the Romans? What what, what happened to making everything right, wrong? How, How could the one sent from heaven, I thought that's who you are, I sort of believe that's who you are, but how could you not establish the visible kingdom of God on earth? That doesn't make sense. Something must have gone wrong. What what happened, Jesus? Hence his question. And I would argue that we often fail to grasp the exact same thing. We struggle with this, like Judas did. Why? Because the main thing we want Jesus to do, if we can be honest, we want Jesus to change the physical circumstances of our life for the better. The things we can see, the stuff of this life, the hard stuff, the sad stuff, just change it for the better. It, it, am I saying or hinting that it's, it's wrong to ask Jesus for physical healing or financial provision? No, not in the least. But until the day he returns and makes all things new, hear this, the primary work the Lord is doing in our midst is not giving people spouses, houses, jobs, kids, or more money, or whatever other physical thing we desperately want. The primary work Jesus is doing through the power of the Spirit is opening our eyes to see Jesus for who he is, love Jesus for who he is, and have our life transformed as a result of seeing that and loving him. God God is not, think about this, God is not a cosmic door dasher. You know what I mean by that? Food delivered to your front door has become much more popular in this pandemic. I think it's way overpriced. That's another conversation. But but God is not a cosmic door dasher. He's what? 
He's the glorious one who satisfies our souls by revealing himself to us. Don't demand or hold God hostage to giving you something other than him. Because ultimately what you most need is to see him and delight in him and love him. Are you confident in that friend? Are you, are you be honest, are you, are you grateful for that? That the main work he's doing in your life, in my life, on this world until the day he returns is, is opening our eyes to see him? Or is there a lesser glory that you're craving more than knowing him? Judas was struggling with that. Humble confidence in speaking of Jesus. Deep gratitude for whatever you know about Jesus. And contentment with the treasure that is Jesus should mark those to whom the Spirit has revealed the glory of God. That's the first point. Here's the second. The Spirit instructs the people of God. He reveals the glory of God and he instructs the people of God. Look at verses 25 to 27. In many ways, I think it's helpful to see the, the examples here, the specific examples of what Jesus says the Spirit will do in these verses as illustrations of the, the previous point. That the big heading that the Lord manifests himself to us through the Spirit, how what are some of the most important ways he does that? Jesus addresses two of them here in these verses. And the first one concerns the work he does to instruct us. Look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What's his point? That that is, Jesus instructed his disciples when he was physically present, so the spirit that he's about to send will instruct his disciples, the people of God, when Jesus is physically absent. That's the promise. And in perhaps the most important way the spirit fulfills that promise, has fulfilled that promise, is by inspiring some of those who were listening to him that day to write the books that form the New Testament canon. (laughs) 2 Peter 1.20, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He promises he's going to do that through the apostles in that verse. But, but I would argue that that essential activity is part of a much broader activity, ongoing activity, where the, where the Spirit continues Jesus' work of guiding and directing us in every area of life, friends. It's, it's why the Apostle Paul speaks of the children of God as being led by the Spirit in Romans 8, 14, or, or keeping in step with the Spirit in Galatians 5, 25. So, Christian, when you, when you need wisdom to know how to respond to a friend, or when you're trying to figure out how to honor the Lord with your wealth, or how to walk in sexual purity, or honor your parents, or love your grandkids, know this, you are not alone. You have a helper. 
In that moment, when if you're honest and being humble, which is where it starts, you don't know what to do. And if you think you do, then that reveals a deeper issue. But you have a helper that the Spirit is with you to lead you in the way you should go. It's why Paul defines being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18 as randomly experiencing things that we have no clue are coming. No. No. How's it defined? Being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, means coming more fully under his influence in various relationships in life. Jesus' whole point is that as he taught his disciples what to do, so now the Spirit teaches us what to do. Now, does that include a necessary and for some of us an uncomfortable subjective element? Yes, absolutely. But, but when it comes to discerning the Spirit's leading, his guiding, what he would have us think or feel or do. We are not left without objective criteria, friends. That the Spirit is faithful to, to bring the word of God, what does Jesus say, to our remembrance, to our minds in our hour of need, so that our, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions are directed by Scripture and subject to Scripture. That's his work too. That's how he gets his work done. He, he instructs us in the way we should go through things like spontaneous impressions, prophetic words, wise counsel from faithful friends. But the primary way he instructs us is through the word of God. And ultimately, every other more subjective form of guidance has to be tested by the objective authoritative word of God. Here's what I mean by that, okay? If you sense that God wants you to do something that he says not to do in his word, you can know your sense is wrong. <sighs> is that clear? Okay. But how many times, friends, let me be honest, do we rationalize and justify things? We, you know, we talk about, I just, I feel like what I'm supposed to do. And, and then we sort of slip God in because parents will take us more seriously if we do. And so <laughs> I think what God wants me to do, well, ask him to lead you, ask him to guide you. Jesus says the spirit will come to lead and guide us, teach us, instruct us. But don't, don't pit the spirit's guidance against the word. Why not? Because it's the Spirit who inspired the Word. Remember my earlier point? And it's the Spirit who what? Proceeds from the Word made flesh. Jesus. Do not create in order to justify following your own will and desires. Some sort of internal conflict in the mind of God. God will never contradict himself saying one thing through the Spirit and another thing through his word. And, and while we're on this point, because <laughs> I really love and care for you all, that's why I make much of this, okay? On, on, a, on a very practical level, pl please remember this. The, the Spirit's work of bringing God's word to remembrance, 
Think about that for a second. Of, of, of helping us understand Scripture, apply it to our lives through the gift of illumination. That requires something on our part. What's that? It, it requires both a willingness and a faithfulness to spend time reading God's word and meditating on God's word. Oh, because that's what pastors always say I'm supposed to do. No, so that the spirit of God actually has something that he can bring to remembrance. You following me? Okay, what, what does remembrance imply, friend? It implies that we are recalling or, or grasping the present significance of something we have heard or known or meditated on or studied or paid attention to before. Do you see that? That the Spirit does not work despite our ignorance of Scripture. He works through our study of Scripture, helping and empowering us to store it up in our hearts, so to speak. So that when a temptation comes, oh no! (laughs) Or a decision has to be made, whoa, I didn't see that coming! The shells of your soul are stocked with God's Word. I don't know how to say it more clearly than this. Don't expect the Spirit to prepare a feast of guidance in your life with an empty pantry. Does that make sense? Don't say, I need your help. Show me what to do. Come on in here and make a feast of guidance. Sorry that there's really, there's no ingredients here. But lead me and guide me. Well, how are you even going to know if what you think he's leading, guiding you to do is actually him if you don't know the word in the first place? Don't ask him to make a feast of guidance with an empty pantry. Stock your shelf, brothers and sisters. Diligently study the word and and, and then depend on and cry out to the spirit to, to take the word and teach you how to walk in a manner Worthy of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And if you find yourself thinking, maybe you're thinking this right now, Pastor, this Bible is so hard to understand. <laughs> it sort of makes sense when other Christians talk about it. I mean, it seems to make sense to you, but, but I can't seem to make heads or tails of it on my own. Well, do this, friend. Before you read it, ask for the Spirit's help. It's it's not complicated. It's not easy. But nor is it impossible. Ask for the Spirit's help. Ask ask him to incline your heart to God's word. Psalm 19, 36. Ask him to open your eyes so you can behold wondrous things in his law. Psalm 119, 18. Ask him to unite your heart, to fear the Lord as you read his word. Psalm 86, 11. Ask him to satisfy you with his steadfast love as you read of his goodness on every page. Psalm 90, 14. Trust the spirit, friend. Look to the spirit. Ask the spirit to fulfill the Lord's promise. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you 
with my eye upon you. Point number three. The Spirit conveys the peace of God. You just keep... I was going to say they keep getting better, but you can't even rank them, right? They're all glorious. He, he reveals the glory of God. He instructs the people of God. He conveys the peace of God. And let's just get this clear up front. God defines peace a lot differently than many of us do. Let's start there, okay? We think of peace as the absence of conflict, right? God defines peace as what? The presence of divine favor and blessing in all its fullness. That, that's the peace that the, the priests of old prayed for when they prayed the ironic blessing from number six over the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's not, they're not praying for just the absence of conflict. <laughs> no, real They're praying for life the way it was meant to be. Real peace. And that's not something you can create for yourself, friend. You can't. Because it starts life the way it was meant to be. Maybe you've been been longing for that or just desperately. Am I ever going to find that? Life the way it was meant to be. What, what What does that even mean? Well, I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with peace with God. And that's not something we can create for ourselves because our sin separates us from God. We're not born with peace with God. We're, we're separated from God. It's, it's why Jesus came to earth in the first place. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, he he makes a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. So when he says in verse 27, look there, peace I leave with you, he's not talking about some kind of mindfulness that just transcends the chaos of the moment. He's talking about the joy of fellowship with God. That the quietness of soul that, that comes from knowing the smile of his favor. And the assurance of his love through faith in Jesus. Which brings this big question. How in the world do we experience that kind of peace? Can I get in on that? (laughs) Well, it's the same way we experience all the other benefits of salvation that Jesus won for us. How? Through the work of the Spirit. Because the Spirit takes the spiritual inheritance that is ours in Christ, peace with God included, and he applies that to our life. If you want to think of it this way, he takes what is ours positionally, peace with God through faith in Christ, and he works it into our souls experientially so that even in the midst of trouble, we we learn how to rest in knowing, praise be to God, it's still well with my soul. And a day's coming when he's going to make all things new. I, I have peace, even in trouble. You know, and it's why Paul says in, in Galatians 5.22 that peace is the fruit of the Spirit. I love that. You, you can't meditate or sing or pray your way into peace. It's a gift of the Spirit available to all who are willing to lean the weight of their life on Jesus. Philippians 4.5, the Lord is at hand. How? How so? Through the Spirit who dwells within us. So, do not be anxious about anything. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The the good shepherd, in his infinite wisdom, allows his children to experience seasons of life where peace feels maddeningly elusive. And our responsibility at such a time, listen carefully, is to humbly persevere in asking the Spirit to restore our souls. Knowing, knowing the Spirit does not withhold experiential peace a single moment longer than God's benevolent, good, faithful purposes require. He's a master physician of his soul, friends. He he might be alerting you to the presence of unforsaken sin. He might be awakening you to your need to walk by faith, not by sight. He, He might be giving you an opportunity to find peace, not in the absence of trouble, but in your relationship with God in your trouble. The peace Jesus gives through the Spirit is nothing less than the abundant peace God himself enjoys. Look back, at, look back at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Think about this. The Lord isn't scurrying around in heaven, anxiously trying to hold the universe together. He's seated on a throne. He's, he's eternally active and at the same time, perfectly at rest. He's, he's not surrounded by the, the raging chaos of the earth before his throne, Revelation 4, 6, is a sea of glass, clear as crystal, perfectly calm, perfectly at rest. It's a place of peace r- ruled by a, a God of peace. And it's that peace that he has that he is working in you, Christian, by the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't give as the world gives. You know, there's, a, there's kind of a, a fickle or miserly or, or here today, gone tomorrow quality to the peace the world offers us. Not so with the Lord. He, he delights to give his people peace in abundant, overflowing measure, even in the most chaotic situations. That's the peace the Lord offers to you, friend, if you're willing to stop trying to find it in everything else but him. Don't try to create it for yourself. That won't work. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And and then wait for the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. Where does Jesus conclude? He goes right back to the initial problem. Why should the disciples' hearts not be troubled or afraid despite his approaching physical absence and their imminent spiritual failure? Well, he gives them and us a summary review in verses 28 through 31. And here's what he says. Yes, guys, I'm going away, but I'm also going to come to you. The grave will not hold me, 
And even after I ascend to the Father, I will remain with you through the spirit that dwells within you. He will reveal my glory. He'll instruct you in the truth. And he'll work the peace I enjoy into the fabric of your soul. And if you loved me, if you treasured me as the Savior I am, then you would rejoice in my decision to go to the Father. Because you would know that the road of death and resurrection I'm about to walk in obedience to him paves the way for you to join me. And so when all of this happens over the next couple of days, exactly as I told you guys, remember my words, recognize anew, my promises always come to pass. It may feel like Satan, the ruler of this world, is calling all the shots when, when I suffer a cruel death on the cross. But know this, verse 30, he has no claim on me. I'm not succumbing to his will. I'm accomplishing the will of God the Father, the, the greatest act of salvation the world has ever seen. Why? Because I love the Father. His glory is my, my governing ambition, my ruling affection. And so everything I'm telling you to do about loving God by obeying God, I am doing first for you. I'm showing you the way. I'm walking the path. And so in light of my triumph, my presence, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. To, to know God is with us and for us is a tremendous privilege, my friends. Praise be to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit who makes both of those things true. I want us to end today by singing this hymn. Kevin, you can come on up. Meredith, could we project the chorus of this song before we sing it? Sing for joy, afflicted one. Yep, good. So sing for, with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. How do we know that's true? Because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. When we sing that chorus, remember, I can sing that if you are a follower of Jesus because God is with me. Let's stand and do that together.